Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Bichette. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to MindShift Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, January, uh, I think it's the 12th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words as they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work, that tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my experiences in relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland, Aramaic, Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of the worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We appreciate 
whenever anybody does any and all of those things, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively do those things. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. If by any chance you're doing that right now, please be patient as I am not able to have the uh, switchboard up right now. Jeannie should uh, be available soon to notify me if somebody has a, I'm within the next half an hour, 20 minutes anyway, to see if somebody has a hand up. But you can call that number 563-999-3581 and press one on your phone and or you can send us an email. Welcome. Thank you. Um, and you can send us an email. You can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. Or you can email me at T-J-H at mindshifters-academy.org. And if that happens, we will address your comment or question or testimonial on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. And we greatly appreciate when people do that because it makes it easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And we do that in a variety of ways. We do the Internet show. Um, Jeannie has created the app. The app allows you to click on anything on any page and send an email to ask a question. Michael and Jeannie do other online support. We have two support groups that we run Tuesday and Thursday night in uh, 6.30 and 9 p.m. Central Time. Those are all done through the Internet these days. So wherever you are on the planet, if you've got an Internet connection, you can join us for free. So there's a variety of ways that we like to support people in learning how to use these tools and get greater and greater benefit from them. We had our support group last night. As happens from time to time, the attendance was low. And as often happens when there's just one or two or three people in the group, they tend to get even deeper in the processing. So so that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, there'll be no support groups happening again next week. And um, we'd be happy to have you join us or pass the information along to anybody you think might be interested. Information about how to Tap into the support groups is available on mindshiftersacademy.org. And for the time being, unless Jeannie lets me know somebody has a hand up, I will take a breath and get back into reading a little bit of Lesson 6 from The Way of Mastery. It's all quiet on this end. I'll let you know if anybody puts a hand up. All right. Thank you so much. So... um, what we did yesterday was begin reading Lesson 6, and we just read the first section. And the essence of the first section of Lesson 6 is to help us understand 
that the consciousness that gave rise to this work knows without any question that you are equal to that consciousness, that you are a part of that consciousness, that you are beloved, indeed beloved of every molecule in your physical universe, loved of the earth itself, loved by anything you can imagine that has ever existed or ever would exist. So it's this very gentle, very strong, embracing love message. Your true nature is love. There's love being extended to you in every moment. And the next section is titled, If You Would Know Love, with a capital L, you must first know yourself. And the text reads, In truth, there is a place within you that already knows the day and the hour. There's a place within you, in your soul, in your higher self, that knows when you're going to decide to live the decision to be awake in creation, in the creator, in God, in the one mind, to be the only, to be only the presence of love, to let go of the creations of fear and constriction and turmoil and negative thoughts and beliefs and judgments. You're going to let go of all of them. And there's a part of you that already knows when that's going to happen. To be only love, to choose to teach only love moment to moment. And here it is, this, this, the next phrase is sprinkled or, you know, generously sprinkled through this entire set of three books and, and 35 lessons. And it, it reads as follows. Love, just like the awakened heart earlier in lesson three, Love embraces all things. Love allows all things. Love trusts all things. And thereby, love transcends all things. And so the essence of what the awakened heart is and the way of the heart And love itself is the opposite of what we've been trained to do in our culture with our conscious logical mind. We have been trained to judge, to compare, to attack, to form negative judgments against, to get defensive, and love, actual energy of creation, expressing, extending, embraces all things, allows all things, trusts all things, and thereby transcends all things. The text goes on and says, love is never possessive. Love is never jealous. Love is never tight or contracted. Love is never fearful. Love is simply love, the energy of creation expressing whether it's in form or in energetic or in ethereal energies. Love cannot shine with specialness upon anyone at any time. This is like the this, this scriptural passage that says, 
The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. The sun shines, it just shines. It doesn't say, I'm only going to be here for the people who love God or who practice the religious rituals that some scripture told them to. The sun just shines. Love is just love. It expresses, it extends, it embraces, it allows, it trusts all things. The text goes on and says, the idea of specialness itself is a contraction. The attempt to take love and make it shine only on one object or make it shine only on one person or make it shine only on one being, only one universe, all of that is contraction. It's limitation. It's the nine-bit mind trying to crush all of creation down into something it can comprehend. Specialness itself is a contraction. Michael Rice has different definitions for different things. And his definition for codependence resonates very strongly with what The Course in Miracles and the Way of Mastery we talk about when they're trying to help us understand the problems inherent in a special, quote, special, close quotes, relationship. What they mean by that is, if I think a person is responsible for how I feel, they're causing me to feel angry or they're causing me to feel like life is worth living because I'm so full of joy when I'm in their presence. They make me feel good. That is a codependent relationship in Dr. Michael Rice's definition. Anytime I think or speak about how someone or something outside of me is responsible for how I'm feeling inside of me, I've just created a special relationship. And the only place it exists is in my mind. It's never been. It's not a real thing. It's a contraction away from what life really is, what love really is. It's a distortion in the flow of energy that each of us can create because each of us has dominion over our mind energy, which itself is a part of the creative flow. So I can create the fear that if somebody goes away, I'll never be happy again. I'll never find love again. I'll never feel safe again. But when I do that, it is a sin in terms of being energy that's off the mark, being something that is not in alignment with the truth of love, life, the the truth, actuality of life itself. When I create a sense of specialness and I say, oh, Michael Rice is the only true teacher, I've made an error because there are many true teachers. And beyond that, the teachers are irrelevant at that ultimate level. Only the teaching holds value. Only your relationship with the teaching and the intelligence that created the teaching has any value. Earlier in in one of these lessons, it said very explicitly, the only relationship in your life 
that has any value at all is your relationship with creation itself, your creator, God, light, love, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. And the reason for that is because all other value, all other true relationships in your life flow from that. Just like in the impersonal life with Joseph S. Benner, it says no real thought, no actual intelligent thought occurs within a human being until after that human being has awakened to the, the truth that of themselves they do nothing, that there is this creative force giving rise to them, that they are just a spark of the one divine mind. That relationship, my conscious awareness of that relationship, is what gives absolute value to every other relationship in my life. So the text here goes on and says, therefore, when you recognize that you have singled out someone or something and said, this person holds greater value, you may rest assured that you are not in love, the state of love, the flow of love and life. You're not in that at all. You are in fear. And instantly when you decide this person holds greater value, this person is the love of my life, this person gives me a sense of safety in the world, this person makes me happy, this person fulfills me, Instantly when you do that, you've created the dynamic which says if they ever leave, your happiness, your joy, your fulfillment leaves with them. And now you've created the mindset, the false perception that you need to have fear about losing them. The text goes on and asks, or, or, or states, but if you are in the energy of love and creation, as a fish is within the sea, all beings can arise and pass away, and you will bless them in their journey. You will remember that you reside where the Creator has placed you, in her heart. When you notice and you choose to be only the presence of capital L love, even the dream of loss will dissolve from your consciousness, just as a forest mist might dissolve before the rising sun. The essence of your existence, your consciousness, can never be chipped, faded, Scented, rusted, or broken in any way. You are completely safe in each moment. As they pointed out in Lesson 4, your essence is that you are the extension of love and form. You are consciousness. You were never born. You will never die. You're part of the infinite conscious mind, consciousness itself. So you have nothing to fear. Just as a fish doesn't fear that other fish come and go. It understands everything is in order. I'm not sure we've 
reach that point in this book yet, but at one point in this book they say, so if you're in a house with someone that you care about and they walk out of the room you're in and walk into another room and close the door, do you go into a panic? Do you feel like they've died? Do you think you've lost all connection with them? And the answer, of course, is no. You know they're still there. You know you can reach out to them, etc. That's what teachings like this want us to understand about people when they're in a relationship with us and they're close to us or they drop the body and move on. The essence of them, our life experience and lessons with them, is always available to us. We don't get trained into that awareness. We are literally trained into something, the opposite of that awareness, by focusing only on the physical. And yet, great teachings like this know and try to help us understand and learn and then strengthen the awareness that we are more than just the physical. There's a lot more going on here than we can track with our five physical senses. So the text goes on and says, Indeed, beloved friends, love does wait upon your welcome. Capital L, love. You cannot welcome love by waiting for it to be brought to you by another person, not even from me, Yeshua. You cannot welcome love by trying to scurry about to create the environment in which you believe your preferences are being met. You cannot welcome love when that welcome is attached or linked to any phenomenal thing, any physical thing, anything that has been birthed in time. Because as this text tells us over and over again, everything that's birthed in time ends in time. The text goes on and says, love can only be welcomed where love truly resides. And love resides within you as the core and the source of your very being. This energy of creation, this is, this is where uh, Dale Allen Hoffman likes to quote St. Francis of Assisi, who said, when you go out looking for life, for love, for God, when you want to be enlightened, when you want to connect with your, your creator, what is looking is what you're looking for. You have the source of love at your core. It is the source and ground of your being. The text goes on here and says, therefore, if you would know love, know yourself. Embrace the truth about yourself. And the truth, capital T, truth, will set you free. Then, indeed, love, capital L, love, the energy of creation, will flow through you. Like the great sunlight that comes to nurture this beloved earth, the love that flows through you will be unimpeded. It will meet no obstacle. You will look upon whomever is in front of you, and you will know 
that they are sent unto you of the Creator. The Holy Spirit has guided them to you because through you, capital L love can be given in such a way that it begins to touch the place of their awakening. That is why you are but a servant of love, capital L love. That is all life is. Now, this is the second or third time already in the beginning of this book where they're suggesting that you entertain the possibility that you're here to extend love, that you're here in the physical body to bless all of creation, that you're here to choose to teach only love. Even though you may see things that seem to be less than love, which are the creations of fearful minds, yours and others, you're here to learn to choose for love in more and more challenging internal and external circumstances. And they're inviting us to entertain the possibility that that is all life is. Just like Course in Miracles says, a miracle is simply a place where people have chosen love over fear. The text here goes on and says, when you choose to surrender, when you choose to give up the game, to give up the dream of trying to resist the capital T truth that is true about you always, when you do that, you will become a mere channel, a mere conduit, wide open, clean, clear, transparent, You will become no more a seeker, for you will have decided to have found, found the truth of life and love, which is your true nature at your very core. When you have surrendered the last vestige of an insane possibility of contracting away from the truth, when you have given that up, capital L, love, will flow through you. And notice that if it flows through you, it must first flow to you. Therefore, seek always to receive in order to give. For what can you give to another if you have not yet received it yourself? Just think about it. The next segment reads, how many of you have been taught to try to love, to try to do the right thing, the good thing? And yet, how many times have you gone within your secret chamber and said, quote, I am unworthy, close quotes. And then you wonder why your attempts to join in love with others never seem to be quite fulfilling enough, never quite seem to fill the cup, never quite seem to elicit the joy that you believe could be there. This is the insanity of having thirsty people all around you and your cup is empty, but you try and pour water into their cups from your empty cup. If you are not able 
to turn into the core of your being. Recognize your true nature as love. Breathe into it. Feel it. Let it radiate in your energy system, in your awareness. And then act. If you're not able to do that, you can't connect with others through that energy. It says here, listen well. If you wish to call it that, your work, if you wish to call it that, your work is not to seek and find love. Your work is merely to turn within and discover every obstacle that has been created by you and the training and conditioning of your culture to you, the obstacles that prevent you from seeing and being consciously aware of your true nature as love. And to offer that obstacle, whatever it might be, trauma, energy, a negative belief, a memory from the past, offer that up to the great dissolver of dreams. Here they're calling the great dissolver of dreams, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, again, goes beyond your comprehension. This is not a disembodied spirit being, an entity. This is a process, a part of life itself, a part of love. The way Michael Rice is found it in the Kaboorist manuscript, Ruka de Kucha. Ruka, an elemental force like breath, like a heartbeat, like gravity. We can't see it directly, but we feel its effects. Luca de Kucha, one of those elemental forces that's specifically for humans. And the essence of this Holy Spirit or Luca de Kucha is such that if you ask it to, it will become the super processor. It will start to show you how to dissolve the negative effects of your errors in thought. Or it will help you dissolve the dream of, the, of life that you're separate from people and things around you. The text goes on and reads, I have said unto you many times that the greatest of gifts you can give is this, that you come wholly, completely to the recognition that every attempt you have made to resist being the presence of Christ has failed you miserably. You are the presence of Christ. You're just not consciously aware of it. The text goes on and says, no matter how many times you've tried to convince yourself that you are unworthy, yet does the universe find a way to extend love through you. No matter how many times you have tried to lock yourself into the space and the volume of a body and think that's all you are, you have not succeeded. And when the body falls away at this transition that we mistakenly call death, that's when you have remembered and been confronted with the radiance of your unlimitedness. Therefore, the greatest of gifts you can give another is to be a person who has rescinded the need to insist 
on the insanity of fear. Just think about that. The greatest of gifts that you can experience and then give to another person is to be a person who has decided I will no longer insist on the insanity of fear. Fear is like a demon to be cast out. Fear not, fear not, fear not. It's all through the scriptures. Everything is either fear or love. In other words, there is only love and with our conscious logical mind and the errors in our thoughts over the centuries and and thousands of years, humans have created a contraction away from love, and we call that fear. The greatest of gifts you can offer to yourself and then to another is to be one who has rescinded the need to insist on the insanity of fear. Stop creating fear. It's a choice. You're not aware that it's a choice. You're not even aware that you're the one who's creating it, but that's the core of this book. In the very first lesson in page five, it says, here's the first axiom of truth. You only experience the effects of your own choices. You within your own mind are the only person and the only thing that's ever created fear within you. Once you get introduced to the possibility that you're the one that's creating every fearful thought you have, now you've got the possibility to choose again. This teaching takes it another level further and says, fear is literally insanity. It is false. It is a hallucination. It's born the moment that you try to pretend you're separate or separated from anyone or anything, including your creator. The text goes on. I have this next paragraph highlighted in red in my Kindle. The section is titled, The Primary Characteristic of Mastery. And this first paragraph reads, and I'm, I'm not sure why I've highlighted it in red. Maybe it'll be clear to me as I, as I read it. But the, the paragraph reads, Fearlessness is the primary characteristic of mastery. Mastery is not having great power to make things happen. Mastery is only the recognition that what is true is true always, and there is no other choice. Free will does not mean that you have the right to believe that you can succeed at being other than what God created you to be. Having free will does not mean that you can elect not to take the only curriculum that life is offering to you in every moment. You cannot refuse to take the curriculum. You can only decide to put it off 
yet another day. And each time you put off learning about your true nature, the true nature of the consciousness that created you, the true nature of the beings of brilliance and light around you, you can put off learning about that. And each time you do, you slumber in your suffering. You create suffering and and you think it's being created by people and things around you. And you're the one who's asleep to the fact that your, your suffering is only coming because you're putting off learning that your true nature is love and that you are always connected to your source. So that... Now it's clear to me why that paragraph is highlighted in red because Guy Finley has a quote that's almost identical to this. He says, there is an unseen cosmic curriculum. There's just one. There's only one. And that unseen cosmic curriculum is here for every soul. And the only purpose of the curriculum is to educate the soul to the existence of the intelligence that created the curriculum. The curriculum is not there to teach you how to program computers or tune up a 12-cylinder engine or build a house from scratch with your hands. The curriculum is there for the sole purpose of educating the individual consciousness to the fact that there was a greater intelligence that created the curriculum and created them and created everything and that they're a part of it. text goes on and says when you elect to take the only curriculum that matters when you elect to use to choose to use the power of your free will to say the following thing quote now from this moment on I will no longer tolerate error in myself no more games no more dreams I am committed to being only the presence of love, capital L, love, for that is the truth of who I am, both quotes. Powerful stuff. You can choose to put it off another day. You can choose to create an experience of yourself as powerless, as weak, as defective, as evil, as lazy. You can choose to create those false stories and images of yourself. Or you could choose to say, quote, now, from this moment on, I will no longer tolerate the error in thought within myself. I will no longer play games. I will no longer buy into the dream of separation. I am committed to being consciously aware of my true nature as the extension of love in form. For that is the truth, capital T truth of who I am. Close quotes. The text goes on here and says... 
it doesn't matter what others think of you. Anybody who is not yet resting in that decision, it doesn't matter what their opinions are. Because indeed, all things under heaven and earth will move to support you when you choose to recognize your true nature as love. All things under heaven and earth will move to support you, to guide you to the right person, the right place, the right book, the right sunrise, the right meadow, in order to assist you in dropping the shackles of the obstacles to the presence, to your awareness of the presence of love. These obstacles in thought and energetic impressions that you have created. They say here, you've created them as an idol, meaning you believe in them, you worship them, you hold on to them, you identify with them, rather than identifying as the presence of love, capital L, love. You substituted within your mind, body's energy system, the belief that you're damaged or broken, the belief that you can't possibly be one with Christ, the Christ mind the one mind, your creator, etc. And as long as you hold on to those thoughts and beliefs, you worship them like an idol. The text goes on and says, that is why when you truly pray from the depth of your soul and say, quote, creator, bring me home, quote, quote. When you truly do that from the depth of your soul, you may rest assured from that moment on, it is absolutely fine to trust every little thing that unfolds, everything in your life. Allow it, accept it, embrace it, trust it, and that's the only way to get home. You may absolutely rest assured that once you pray from the depth of your soul, Bring me home. I want to be only aligned with the truth of life. Once you do that, every little thing that unfolds is perfectly fine. For though you won't be able to see it directly with your conscious logical mind or your five senses, these entities that you call angels, friends who simply do not have bodies, they're rushing about because you've given the command of the works of my hand, command ye me. Right? The scriptures say when you declare something, it is so. So you say, I want to come home. I want to give up my attachments to my false beliefs of littleness and bitterness and resentment and hurt and vengeance and pain and sadness and guilt. I want to give all that up. Once you do that with deep sincerity, it's perfectly okay to trust whatever unfolds in your life, even if everything in the physical realm and relationship realm seems to be falling apart just Trust it. 
Because as soon as that happens, all things under heaven and earth are going to move to support you, to guide you to the right person, the right place, the right book, the right sunrise, the right meadow, in order to assist you in dropping the shackles of the obstacles to your awareness of the presence of love within you. All of those obstacles that you've created as a substitute for being aware of your true nature as love. You won't see it, but there will be forces beyond your comprehension moving to support you because you've given the command. Here's a a way to talk about the command. Quote, yes, I accept love's presence in my life. I turn the whole thing over. Now, each moment is dedicated to healing and awakening any illusory sense of separation from my creator that I once created in error. The text goes on to read, In how many ways have you sought for love? Can you even count how many ways? Would you dare try to count each little pebble of sand on the beaches of your planet? Each and every soul has already tried to seek love in many, many, many ways. That many ways. As many ways as there are grains of sand on the beaches of our planet. Each and every soul has already tried to seek out love in more ways than that. You have sought it in a million forms in which you already knew that you could not find it, all because you wanted to perpetuate the insane attempt to try to separate yourself from the creator. And that is as futile as a sunbeam trying to separate itself from the sun. Indeed, beloved friends, there is only one question you need answer. Here's the question. What am I choosing in this moment? What have I given mastery of my life over unto? What perception, what thought, what feeling? Feeling merely flows from the thought or perception you've chosen. What behavior, what action am I choosing in this moment? And does it express the reality of my being as love? Am I being busy extending love or am I busying myself fearfully trying to grasp at what I think can give me love so that I do not lose it? Look well then upon your parents your siblings, your mates, your friends, not one of them, not one of them holds the power to bring love to you. So what are you trying to get from them? Why do you ever insist that another ought to be conformed to what you believe you need? It is futile, 100%, absolutely, positively to seek love in relationship with anything 
or anyone. This is one of my favorite pairs of paragraphs in this book. It is absolutely futile, positively absolutely 100% futile, to seek love in relationship with anyone or anything. It is, however, absolutely appropriate. We recommend it highly. It's the golden ticket to extend love, your true nature, in every relationship with everyone and everything. However, the extension of that love requires that you have awakened to the truth that the only relationship that truly holds value is the relationship between you as a soul and the energy that created you. So there's your there's your job. There's you know the, the task is outlined. What do I need to do? I need to awaken. I need to remove every obstacle to awakening to the truth of my true nature as the extension of the loving energy in form. So that's all I'm going to read for this first hour. I welcome comments or questions. We've got about 10 minutes left. I am flying blind here. I do not have uh, the capacity to, to open the switchboard on my phone, so I'm not even aware if Jeannie is still there. But if she is, I am. There's no hand up. Somebody press one. We have nine minutes. Or Jeannie, what's... Yes, have sir. you been listening? Have you been listening? Yes, I have. So what what's what thoughts are bubbling up for you as you listen to this in the sixth lesson well, of the way of mastery? I actually you brought up some good points. I was I've been working with a a client and um, one of his big things is fear and looking for love and so I'm going to actually have him listen to the first hour of the show because you brought out all of that I enjoy listening to the way of mastery yeah I, I, I every once in a while I stumble across one of my favorite paragraphs or in this case the pair of paragraphs where it says it is 100% absolutely positively futile to look for love from anyone or anything. And yet, it's highly recommended to extend it in every interaction with everyone and everything. So go out, you know, there's our job. Go on out in the world and be love. I think it's probably safe to say that that would be a good restatement of what the scriptures say when Jesus said, you know, go on out and teach people. Or, you know, spread the word. Be love. Tune into your true nature and extend that in every interaction with everyone and everything. Plus, it said earlier in this lesson that if you ask, you will be aided in ways 
you can't even imagine. Unseen forces, angels, friends, disembodied consciousness will be moving to bring you into interaction with the people, places, and things that are most relevant for your growth. And it's safe to trust that. I've worked with a number of people over the years who have experimented with living their life more and more tuned into intuition. And I think I mentioned Deb King the other day. She is a psychologist who's had a near-death experience. Michael would call it a near-life experience. And her story includes being a nurse before she became a clinical psychologist. And uh, as a nurse one time, they were working on resuscitating a patient and it was not going well. And the head physician at the time said, we should stop and just call the time of death. And Deb, Deb King is her name. She got the very strong intuitive urge to just try one more round of drugs and electrical zappings and CPR and all of that. So they did, and the patient revived. So she's talking about, she's advocating for bringing more of a focus on helping people in all these varying professions, medical, psychological, et cetera, helping people learn to tap in more to their intuition because it's such a valuable resource. The other part of that story is that as this person revived, a day or two later, she was back on shift and she walked in the room and he sat bolt upright and he said, it's you. And she said, what? She had no relationship with this person prior to working on him as a nurse in this crisis situation. And he recounted for her that in his state of coma, unresponsiveness, not breathing, no pulse, no heartbeat, no brain signature, he heard and saw her in that room, the way she was dressed, who she was talking to, and her recommending that they do one more round of resuscitation simply because not based on any medical evidence, simply because she had the intuition, she had the hunch. And of course, based on what we know about medical science, it's not possible that he could have seen or heard anything when he was basically brain dead and heart dead and all of these other things. So the intuition the hunch, go here, go there, all of those things that flow from us after we've asked to come home or to see our true nature as love or to wake up or to dismantle the dream of separation. It's safe for us to trust 
the little hunches and intuitions and tingly sensations we get and gut feelings we get, that's another part of this lesson. And, of course, we aren't taught to do that in our culture, but it, it is a valuable thing. And I have worked with a number of people who stepped into that, and they're shocked by the good things that happen. Now, the truth of the matter is most of the people I know that have done that have only done that as a temporary experiment. And sooner or later, they fall back into the old habit of thinking they have to plan and direct everything in their life and control not only themselves but the people and things around them. So, you know, uh, the old habits die hard, as they say. So, And that goes along with um, another thing that I told the gentleman that I was working with is that, you know, we might not be able to trust our own minds or or thoughts or, you know, feel like we can't trust other people, but you can always trust God. You can always trust Rukka. And so if you listen to that inner voice and follow that guidance, but there's usually just so much noise going on in the world that we don't hear it. But trust is a biggie. Yeah, and you were talking about that exercise, listening to my voice that you were doing. Oh, yeah. In that in that group before. Yeah, it's, it's so so powerful to understand that, you know, Guy Finley has stories about that too. We, we are so trained to be distracted yeah. and um, not necessarily uh, to our best interests. Right. Yeah, it's, I think it's actually become a practice for people to be present and... Uh, they get so lost in the past and, and uh, it definitely takes a practice to, to bring yourself back to the present and realize that a lot of our realities and perceptions are just totally in the past. Absolutely. Well, are we close? You ready for a handoff? Yes. Yeah, we are one minute away, so... Thank you so much, and you stay warm and stay safe. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Thank you, and I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Have a wonderful show. Thank Thank you, Dr. Tim. Have a good weekend. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio, and today is Friday, and it's January the 12th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581 and press 1. And that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we want to go in the direction that you need support. And we don't mind read, so if you press 1 and let us know your question or comment and we can take off with it. Michael will be with us here in just one moment. And uh, in the meantime, I'll just uh, say I'm adding another page. I started it this morning to the uh, website, and it is, I'm trying to scroll to it as I speak. (laughs) If you go to whyagain.org and 
um, easiest way is to scroll all the way down. I haven't put it in a category yet, but if you scroll down the page near the very bottom, there are blocks of the most recently added um, pages. And so you'll see the ones that I've put on there about you know, the why article and stress and free will and holding the space. And there's now one out there that's called consciousness. And I'm adding several things to that page. It's, it's totally incomplete right now. It is in process. But talking about the, the three minds, the conscious, the subconscious, and the unconscious mind. Inherited patterns. I actually took a scanned a picture out of Michael's book and have put that in there about how patterns of behavior are passed down through generations. And then the inner child. And then there's another one that I have, uh, you know, what's passed on from generation to generation. And so that's going to be a whole new page with several items in it. So keep your eye on that. I'll Hopefully I'll have it completed by the weekend. And uh, I do see that we have a hand up. Hold on one second. Yeah, go on down and and not and see if if Papa's in the other office or something. He's downstairs. <laughs> Michael's phone alarm is going off that it's showtime, and Ari is wanting to know where he is. <laughs> She's off half a day today, so I picked her up a little after eleven, and so we've been playing. So even while I was helping Dr. Tim with the switchboard. Um, we were, she and I were playing and talking, and, and uh, so she's gone down to see where Michael is, that he doesn't hear his phone. <laughs> but it's we, she and I had a conversation um, on the way home from school. When I picked her up, she's kind of had some uh, issues the last three nights with her mom and dad, and. Uh, kind of thrown a fit on them. They've taken away her tablet and uh, any electronics. That seems to be the only thing that, that bothers her is to not have that. So anyway, she was telling me today she couldn't have an electronic. <laughs> so, And I said, well, what's going on? What happened? And she said, I really think I just need to go to bed earlier. <laughs> so we're going to have a discussion after a while about the love chair. That's out of uh, Julie Haverstick's book, Killing Children, Loving Children. And uh, we're going to talk about the love chair with her. And then she actually has agreed that um, she would do some energy work. We're going to breathe Michael after the radio show. So I'm excited to, to see her get the hands on. You know, when we breathed Ryan and Gabby and Aria the other night, and she just laid there perfect the whole time. And so she's going to breathe Michael today. And uh, But anyway, I see there is a hand up, so I'm going to go ahead and press your microphone on. 541, you are on the air. How are you doing? I'm good. And this, you? I am good. I'm good. Just trying to – she's determined to ask me questions. It's like, hold on just a minute. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, we're buried under snow here. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't know if you were on, you know, Dr. Tibb couldn't get into his offices, why he couldn't do the switchboard or see, you know, what was going on. And uh, so I told him I would be available. I'd be kind of sidetracked with Aria, but that I would be available to uh, help him with switchboard. So he is snowed in as well. So I hope you're just staying in and staying safe. 
Well, we're, we're sorting through our options to make sure if the electricity goes out, because it went out for two hours, that we have other options besides the little space heaters we have to heat. Since oh, and do you a, have other options? Uh, well, we have a generator that Larry bought, and um, oh, he's uh, making sure that it's going to work. The electricity was only off for two hours, so that was good. But it was a wake-up call. Uh, when we bought this motorhome, it was uh, several months before we were going to use the um, heater, the central heating, the LPG central heating, and found out there wasn't any because this was a used one. Oh, it was not working. Yeah. But we're doing fine and um, everything. I wanted to share what your conversation with Dr. Tim, uh, how it impacted me or made me see um, a little different of my life process. And uh, I didn't want to interrupt you too because I wanted to hear what you said. Um, into, you were talking about intuition with uh, Dr. Tim. And what I have realized is that I've come from intuition for most of my life, and I have not paid that much attention to it because of the dissing of intuition in our cultures, in our world cultures. And, And then beginning things, well, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I have realized uh, to this morning, I knew it all along in kind of a subconscious way, but I didn't realize the connection, how each step of my spiritual life, my religious quote-unquote life, going from place to place to place, uh, I had always chosen as a result of my intuition. I've been attracted to it because at some point there was something in my present religious training that wasn't working for me, and I was waking up to it. So I really applaud your conversation about the intuition aspect because now, uh, since I have, I'm really committed to co- to going home as a way of mastery talks it about it uh, that. I listen to that intuition more and more, practice that more and more and more and more. That's awesome. Yes, it uh, takes a development. Uh, you know, we've, we have talked, we actually have it on our website under the schedule of the possibility of an intuitive development intensive online if we had enough people um, to, you know, commit to it or whatever, that we that would be what we would do as an online intensive. And it's, to develop your intuition. Everybody's got it, but, you know, we've, like he was saying, you know, we, we've ignored it for so long, or, or like you said, you know, people have said, oh, you know, that's nothing to that, or that's woo-woo, or, you know, whatever. Um, and so we, we push it aside. You know, it's like when we first come in and we are the absolute being of love, and something happens, you know, a power person or whatever, and, and it's like, that's not enough. And so we start taking on that we have to do or be something else, and we leave the real being behind, the one that knows, the one that has that intuitive guidance already. And uh, so, you know, it's it takes practice for a lot of people to get back to that and to trust it. Oh, yeah. You know, 
to you know, I've got an intuitive hit to do this or that and then to trust right. it that it's right. But then the ego jumps in and starts questioning it, you know. Oh, no, you can't listen to that. Well, on all our fears, yeah, all of our fear-based, oh, oh my God, no. Um, I might make a mess out of this or somebody won't love me. They're going to tell me I'm crazy. I'm going to be put down again, you know, whatever. But every right. time I don't follow it when it's a really strong intuition, um, I know. <laughs> I see the results. Oh, I think I mucked this up a bit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yep. I had a couple of other thoughts, too. I'm getting okay. a perception um, about Rucha and um, Christ mind, uh, Rachma. I love that. They both start with R and a wonderful R. Yeah, if if you pronounce it the correct way with like the like the Aramaic, it is it does have that it's kind of a guttural sound even, you know. Yeah. But what I can't pronounce is the German R or the some of the French Rs. I just like uh sorry, can't do that. But anyway, uh, what I have begun to realize more and more and to perceive more and more how we have so focused in this in the patriarchies of this world on the father God and ignored the mother God. So Rucha I perceive as the aspect of creator as mother and she really expresses herself in nature, but she is the guard, that function within us. I call her she, but it's a function within us, just like the Christ mind is a function within us. And I've gone, oh, yes, that is the comforter. That is the mommy I've been wanting all of my life. And then the daddy I've been wanting all my life is is the insight, you know, and for me... Um, the intuition comes out of both the the marriage of the insight with the inspiration, which I consider a heart thing. And I make those, they're they're just metaphors, you know. I don't know if they're true or not, but they work for me. And um, just that connection of the head, Rahma being the head, and Ruha being the heart, um, that's the mother and father aspects of creator. And uh, out of that comes my experience of love in all dimensions, the knowledge plus the understanding of the heart. I think of the understanding as the ground of myself, my grounding. And uh, I'm just sharing all of this it's with you because it's your, it's under, so it's your standing, you know, your under. Yeah. Standing. The all man of life. <laughs> that that very standing. Cool. That uh, you know, this is the ground from on which I stand, and therefore I commit to whatever. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. And thank and you. And I hope you all stay warm. I hope that. Um, your electricity stays on, your little heater stays working, but I hope if uh, something happens that your generator picks up and you all just yep. stay safe. 
Yeah, we we will because we are safe. What was Dr. Tim just reading? <laughs> In form, we are safe, whether we know it or not. Because <laughs> we're not form, we're soul. <laughs> Right. Anyway, that, that works for this moment in, in eternity. I'm, I'm you, doing, you know, you wonder sometimes. I'm sorry, go ahead. This, no, this is a little sidetrack, but, you know, you wonder sometimes if, you know, like Ari is playing in the background behind me, and, and uh, she just came over and she said, what you were just saying, she said, their lights went out at school today. So, I mean, she's listening. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, if we could only listen like that. Yeah, hey, for sure. The b- bunch of unlearning, right? <laughs> yeah, for you sure. Really okay, sweetheart. Thank you so much Thanks. for uh-huh. letting me Bye-bye. Okay. Hello, Michael. Are you with us now? I am, dear heart, and thank you. Listening to the uh, conversation you guys were just having, I'd like to add another factor into this intuition game and that we were brought up in a culture that taught us to live in perception, actually beat us into living in perception. And everything that comes from perception, because it's a reflection of the past, is past and therefore not true. Yeshua said of those who live there, let the dead bury the dead and the blind lead the blind. My take would be, he was saying, if you're living in perception, you're dead and you're blind. And Yeshua was teaching, and this man wanted it, how to live in the actuality, which comes only through intuition, your inner tutor. But as small children, basically... Everybody that lives in perception is a liar. Even, you know, the highest levels of perception, of the highest levels of perception, Yeshua said, those who live there are the lowest in the kingdom. I mean, we we go, wow, look at that intellect. And that intellect is a reflection of perception, and therefore it's the very lowest rung on the ladder. Less than the lowest who's living in the intuitive world, in the actual world. And because most people are living in the lie, when someone comes along with active perception and tells the truth, they're beaten into submission. You know, little Johnny goes out. I use the example all the time of little Johnny goes out and uh, mom's talking to Mrs. Jones over the fence. And Mr. Jones comes out and he's on his way to work and he comes over and gives his wife a peck on the cheek and says, bye, I'm going to work. Now, little Johnny lives in the energy field and sees exactly what's going on. And when he says, gee, Mr. Jones, why do you hate your wife so much? What does mom do? Whack, right square in the head. Don't you dare say things like that about our neighbors. And we are punished into letting go of living in the actuality of the creation. And then we have a thousand stories to tell. And we want to be right about our stories. And the past, 
reflected in the highest mind and the highest levels of intellect is paltry, weak, and death compared to living in the actuality like little Johnny was and was punished for it. You know, how many times did we say something as little ones that was true and the adults were saying, whoa, no, we don't, we don't admit that. We don't touch that. And it's time for us to reopen that higher set of faculties and step back into the actuality. And the only way that's, that's done, and each time you apply forgiveness, you collapse the perceptual mind and you get a taste. You get a, an opportunity at a taste for the actuality. And in an instant, until one's moved forward in their healing process, the mind jumps in with its perception again. You get a taste of the actuality, and then the mind, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, jumps right back in with its old drama and trauma. And so a combination of the forgiveness process, and another thing is that, uh, that I've discovered as I've watched with people over the years, so tell me about how their intuition told them that, until the first roadblock comes up, they'll go, oh, well, now my intuition's changed. It's like, no, guidance from actuality doesn't change. But what you called guidance was really just your ego saying, I know. And, you know, remember how you told me how committed you were and how you were this and you were that, and now that the first roadblocks come up, you're running the other way? Intuition does not work where one has unresolved trauma energies. Intuition is blocked by those trauma energies because that still small voice of intuition will be subdued, covered over, obliterated by the voice of the drama and trauma mind. And so it does take some practice, as you said, you need to get into the actual intuitive state and really be able to listen to that and follow its guidance, even when the ego mind, even when the perceptual mind says, no, 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 no. So just another piece of the puzzle for me in that regard and what it is that we need to work through in order to clean it up. So here we are with the tools working toward cleaning it up. And we're glad that you're here to do it with us. And if you're out there in listener land, our calling number is 563-999-3581. If you have a thought for us, question, if we can support you, push one. Let's have a conversation. Any other thoughts for you, Jeannie? No, I think that covers it pretty much. Um, nobody has a hand up. So, come on, ask a question, direct the show. Which way can we support you? Oh, we got a hand up, and it's Miss Susan 610. Awesome, say hello. Here. Hey, guys. Good Welcome. stuff. Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you for being doubly on duty with Aria and Dr. Tim. I didn't, didn't. I knew something was funny because Dr. Tim's phone. It sounded as if he was talking into a um, a tin can. I don't. Get yeah, on kind the of an echo. Right. Yeah, I don't get on the show early enough to hear the initial. This is why we're doing it this way. <laughs> thing. 
He had texted me and said he was snowed in at home, and so he wasn't going to have access to a computer, so he couldn't see the switchboard, and would I be able to help? And I said, Mm. yeah. I said, but, um, you know, I'm going to be a little sidetracked, too. I said, I have to go get Aria from school, and I said, but I'll Mm. be there and try to keep my eye on the switchboard, see if anybody calls in. So it worked out well. You did a good thing. Thank you. So... (laughs) Um, I called my grandson, Luke, on your recommendation, Michael, and he was and fabulous. The he was fabulous. He was just fabulous. I said, Luke, you know, my ego is going bananas, and you're talking about perception, and that's what I'm doing all over the place, and it's been peaceful today, and last night it's been much easier, but I don't know whether that's just a moment's grace, and then the next ego onslaught will come in but in any case he said how he approaches stuff like that in AA he said you spot it you got it and you've probably heard that it's one of the slogans they use you spot something in someone and you've got it so I said oh god gotta have the brain cells (laughs) yeah so he just we talked for about an hour and it was all over the place. He was telling me about his courses and about this and that, but he really hung in and showed me how much he has learned um, of, from his, you know, being in AA and working very hard with AA. And he had a kind of a miracle thing where he and his youngest brother, Max, went drove 14 hours to New York City from Jacksonville to spend three nights with friends going to a fish concert. And I don't even know if you know who, what fish is, but it's a big deal band. I do not. In New York City. Yeah, well, they are, in their own way, they are geniuses. I've listened to enough to know how amazing. Lots of improvisation, lots of freewheeling. And there's a lot of drinking and smoking weed there, too. But Luke was... He's good. He just says, I, I just don't even, I'm not even affected by that anymore. It's not for me, and there's no temptation. Awesome. One, isn't that great? So he, he and his That's brother. That's got to warm your granny's heart. <laughs> oh, God, it's fabulous. He just seems so solid in it now. But he said a miracle happened. He got home from the fish concert one night, and his one of his best friends with whom he was staying in New York was dead drunk on face down on his bed and Luke realized he was in bad trouble um more than passed out sick you know and he got he got him revived enough to find out if he was so toxic he might die because that happens First, and they were up most of the night, 8 a.m., he gets his friend up, who is now coherent but terribly hungover, takes him to his first AA meeting. And the guy went, and he got right on the wagon. Now, we'll see later whether he, he realized right then that he's an alcoholic and he is in bad trouble. And so Luke said, I went up there because God took me up there. Luke was just so flying so high, thinking, I helped my friend. 
So that was wonderful to hear about, too. I just wanted to tell you, thanks for the suggestion. It would never have occurred to me to to talk to him, but he reported to his mother what a good talk it was, and it's like we know each other in a different way now. Mm. I'm no longer the oracle. That's so awesome, and it's so delightful to hear that about him with all that you went through, man. It's got to feel good to have been the the hem of the garment that supported him being able to move there. Yeah, he has told us all about how long it took him even after the intervention. He said the intervention angered him so much that he drank even more and hit bottom even faster, and that ended up being being a good thing. Out on the street, no place to live. Terrified. Finally willing to go into rehab. I've told you that already. So, yeah, it's wonderful. And I just, so I just wanted to check in on that. And I also want to send you and Dr. Kim a clip, I'm only halfway through, of Alan Watts reading a letter or something Carl Jung wrote that I don't think is out there about the ego and stuff. And I won't even try to explain to you, but I, I'm just going to send it. And if you have a chance to listen, it would be fodder for an incredible discussion. And I'd love to hear your take on what Carl Jung felt about facing your darkest, darkest, uh, because everybody has it. Yeah. He says, not only face it, but do it without any judgment, because we all have it. And it's the person who admits they have it, looks at it with complete allowance and balance, or whatever the wonderful words he used. And that was a, I stumbled on this, this is another grace thing, and you stumble upon these things that help so much to know what to do with your own whatever it is. And with me, it's just looking, it's my Fenelon moments again, looking at the dark stuff, looking, looking, looking at it, feeling overwhelmed as if I can't get to the bottom of it. It's always going to be there. That isn't even true. It's still sitting there, but I'm sitting on the other side of the rim of the cup, watching it from a very different place. And I hope I can stay out here nicer. Yeah and don't have to act on it either at all. And Luke and I talked the a lot apart about from that the thing too. Yeah, well, That's sweet. Luke talked about that too. Yeah, so he was talking about all that too. Anyway, that's my report. And that's all I really have to talk about. But I just wanted to thank you for making the suggestion. It would never have occurred to me to call Luke. Cool. Well, maybe it'll be the uh, the start of a new phone pal relationship, a new level. I, it's just a new way of relating, whether we talk a lot or not. But I feel as if suddenly we're we're fellow seekers now. I'm not functioning particularly much as his grandmother anymore, although I love him the way grandmother would. You know, I embarrass him with my wish to mush him on a regular basis. So, very sweet, very sweet. That's that's awesome. And I would love to hear that um, piece from um, Carl Jung. And I was yeah. talking to someone this morning and repeating 
the quote from Young. I'm, I'm going to repeat it the way Young speaks, and I'm going to repeat it in the language of this culture, but those who look without sleep, those who look within awaken. Those who live in perception, pictures painted on the inside of their eyeballs, that think they're out there looking out there, are asleep. They're literally living in a dream from the past. The mind simply replicates out of its content whatever is resonated by what's happening in the actuality, and people don't even know they're in a dream. And that's like the whole world, pretty much. I mean, all of us, until we start to awaken. Then then the the genius for him to say, and those who look within awaken, it's just like, it's all right there in one sentence. (laughs) Mm. Wow. So I look forward to what else he has to say. Okay, I'm sending it now, and I'm sending it to your email address, and I know you need warning when I do that. I I just got it up that way, and I think that's what's happening. I'm sending it to Dr. Kim. Okay, well, I'll know it's there. Okay. Sweet. All right. And anybody who's listening, if you run across things that impact you, that assist you on this journey, that come from some other source. We'd love to know about it because we're, we recognize that there are many, many people on the path that, and so many pieces of information that so many people have can support all of us. So that's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Well, the next time you talk to Luke, please tell him we said hello and send our love. Yeah. One of these days I may okay. get a conversation with him. I, every once in a while I call him and end up leaving a message, but maybe one of these days we'll get to talk. Yeah, he hasn't gotten you in his groove yet, but he's very grateful to you. you, you your wake-up sheet lifted him out of the worst depression. He's probably only done two or three worksheets from beginning to end, and all under my my yelling at him and tutelage. doesn't do them on his own, but they helped so much. He's extremely bright. He's got a grant here, and he's got a wonderful writing professor who's working with him who loves him and is getting him to write tons of stuff and teaching guitar, and he's just fucking... Sweet to hear that he's on track. It warms my heart as a grandfather um, by the 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 fire that you've got lit in you. So, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good luck with little. Speaking of, as 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 uh, Aria grows, Jeannie was saying she had some issues with her parents, and stuff will come up, and it's just wonderful that. You'll have tools to deal with all that every step of the way. Boy, oh boy, lucky kid. Well, it's also giving us a uh, a deeper level of opportunity to understand how to present it to her as a child, and that's mm. pretty sweet too. It's like, yeah, like I always say, please, if you're out there with a question, bring it because we need the questions. That's what opens the space for other directions, other other understandings, and so. It's uh, it's definitely opening a deeper space for us to understand this teaching, to be able to give it to her as we watch her 
tempted yeah. to fall into the uh, the pains and the traumas of the old family system and to uh, empower her or, or assist her to find the empowerment in herself to clean that up. So it's it's definitely a gift for all of us. Yeah, and you are developing the vocabulary to to use on a kid that age. All the way along, you're going to develop different ways of communicating. Yes. Yesterday, Jeannie copied the, uh, and maybe she said this already, but copied the uh, part of Julie's book about the love chair and sent it to mom and dad, you know, Aria's mom and dad. And, of course, so that the idea of the love chair is there for Aria, but what I'm hoping in, in having sent that is that mom's going to realize that she needs a love chair and needs to use it and what, as much as Ari does. Tell, tell what a love chair is. So a love chair is a thing, you know, the uh, <clears throat> the culture developed a, a thing that's better than beating kids that was called time out. Well, we're going to send you to time out like it's some sort of a punishment. And what... Yeah. Julie did, based on this work, is she transformed that idea of time out into the love chair. Instead of sending a kid to a chair to be time out or to sit in the corner and look in the corner, uh, she developed and explained to them, if you're in need of extra love today, if there's trauma going on in you, then any time you need to in this classroom, you can put your hand up and you can say, I need to go sit in the love chair. And I remember Uh one particular time, I mean, to me it was just so evocative emotionally for me of a little kid. She she taught in a very uh, destitute area of Dayton, Ohio, kindergarten and grade one, and she had this little kid come in in tears, and Mrs. Haverstick, I, I, I didn't get any breakfast this morning, and, and I had a big fight with my mom, and, and I need to sit in the love chair. So Aww. she goes over to, you know, this kid gets to sit in this love chair, and as the kids come into school, they know exactly what she needs. She know, they know exactly what she's there for, and they're all able to um. stand to extend that love because they've been taught to do a love exchange. You know, like, oh, uh, that's discipline. <laughs> Wow, that's wonderful. As opposed to the the culture's misinterpretation of discipline means properly beat up. God, that's such a great what do idea. And calling it a love chair. Presence of love. It's just so yeah. short circuit the whole idea of I'm being punished. I'm being loved. Yep. That is such a exactly. cool thing. Yeah. And and you can ask for it anytime you feel like you need it. So instead of out of fear and pain and abuse having to lash back out. It's like, oh, I need love. Hey, world, can you support me? Like, oh, that's wonderful. Monumental. Oh, monumental. Fantastic. Yes. And certainly from time to time, we all need the love chair. Yeah. And thank you, Julie. <laughs> thank you, Julie, for making that leap, Julie Haverstick, in your yeah. book, Healing Children, Loving Children. Mm. Pretty sweet. Well, any other thoughts for you today, young lady? No, not really. Brain is quite dormant, which is a lovely thing. <laughs> just a, All right. Just well, you have a blessed day. All right. Thanks. Take you care. too. Yep. Appreciate that uh, that interaction and getting that feedback with Luke. That's pretty awesome. Thanks. All right. Well, Miss Jeannie, any other thoughts for you? or anybody in the phone queue with a hand up. Our call-in number, by the way, if you're on one of the stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. 
If you dial that number, you're listening to the show directly rather than through a station of some kind. And then if you have a question or thought for us, all you do is push one, and we will be having a conversation. So how can we support you? What's on your mind? By the way, if you're out there in listener land, we'd appreciate it if this is benefiting you, that you pass it on to somebody else. Pay it forward. Invite somebody else to come play. You know, drop Jeannie a note, J-E-A-N-I-E at W-H-Y-Again.org. And she'll send you a link to the latest Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop. Pass it on. Spread it around. Invite people to the radio show to ask for support. And that's what we're here to do is to offer that support. So I'm going to read the page on the love chair. And that way it's already listening to. So so Julie says, uh, this is a regular chair in your home or class. I sewed a chair cover and printed love upon it. And it was attractively decorated with glitter paint and cute stuff. And it was fun looking. It was a traditional timeout chair changed to a teaching tool. I taught the children about making choices once again. When we follow the school or home rules, we're on target. When we do not follow the school or home rules, we are off target. If we choose not to follow the rules, we might need to sit in the love chair in order to get some extra love and rethink the rules or to calm down and choose again to follow the rules. I told the children this love chair was for them. If they needed a little space from the others, or if they were in a bad mood, or if they just wanted to sit there for a little while and get a little love, it was fine with me. Children like to be doers. If a child was off target in class and I felt that they might need to sit in the love chair and be a watcher, I would warn them uh, prior to the move. I would say, do you want to be a watcher or a doer? Uh, Do you want to be part of the group and continue working on the task at hand, or do you want to sit alone for a while and watch the group continue doing the project. Most of the time, they would respond in a positive, on-target manner with, I want to be a doer, and continue with the group. Sometimes they would choose to be a watcher if their personal stress level was high and the work was too hard or they did not feel very good. If they decided to be a doer, I once again stated the rule I felt they were neglecting and I made sure that they were clear on what was expected of them. Most children would go to the chair willingly if it's used as a self-correcting supportive measure. If they felt it was punishment or if they had to stay there too long, it would lose its effectiveness as a teaching tool. Some children would not cooperate. However, most of the time it was effective. I want to share a little story with you so that you will realize that the children will use the chair as they need it. One morning, Crystal came in. She didn't seem to be quite herself. Crystal's eyes were red as if maybe she had been crying. She hung up her coat and she immediately... (laughs) immediately Breathing with you, sweetheart. (laughs) It's precious. Um, She immediately sat down in the love chair. I left her alone for about 15 minutes. Then I went over to talk to her. And she told me that she wasn't in a very good mood. She said she and her mother had gotten into a fight and she wasn't feeling very loving. She thought she would sit in the love chair for a while because she didn't want to take her anger out on the other children. 
Crystal talked a little more about what went on that morning at home and that I kept focusing on keeping love conscious and supporting her healing, her reality. After about half of an hour, Crystal was feeling better, and on her own, she left the love chair and returned to her regular seat to do her morning work. Crystal was five. That's the end of it. Breathing, Lisa, sweetheart. It's so easy for the traumas, unresolved traumas of one generation to be passed on to the next when people have no tools. It's Somebody sad. It's telling. crazy. Go ahead, sweetie. What was the... Um Somebody was telling us the other day about a bench out on the playground, and if the other kids saw a child sitting on the bench, that they knew that the child needed somebody to play with. So it's kind yeah, of Suzanne Tucker. Yeah. Suzanne Tucker in uh, in uh, St. Louis was sharing that that in the school system there, at least in some of the schools, they now have in the playground a friendship bench, and if a child's feeling lonely, left out, that they can go sit on the friendship bench and somebody will recognize that it's a request. It's like, where has this been all our lives? It's so crazy what this punitive, fear-based, and sadly, in many cases, churchianity has done, spare the rod, spoil the child and use the rod like a sick to beat somebody when the rod was simply a support mechanism for getting somewhere, for accomplishing something. It wasn't something to beat a little kid with. There is no child, no child, that has ever deserved any form of punishment. Every child deserves at every instant of their lives. Every person deserves at every instant of their lives to have the presence of conscious, active love. And from that space, can we hold people accountable for their behavior? If it's soft target, yes. You know, one of the things I learned way back early in the work with the Aramaic from Judge Assidy Kelly was, here's a man who put, on his tenure on the bench, thousands of people in prison, never punished one of them. Never one thought of punishment toward them. He would explain to the criminal offender, the community has taken up a collection, and they built a building with bars around it, and they asked me to decide who's safe in the community and who's not. And I take care of my community, and you're not safe, so I'm going to sentence you to prison. Now, if you would like to do something about it, I will also give you the option of doing laws of living and healing yourself. So to the the most heinous offenders, I mean, this is a, a judge in the little town of Albany, Georgia, which has kind of like been described by some people as a a, uh, a part of Georgia lower than the armpit of Georgia. And some pretty heavy-duty, you know, backwoods kind of stuff went on there. And he'd offer love. You know, he had the equivalent of the love chair in his courtroom three decades, four decades ago. So it's a a shift that 
needs to happen and fortunately is happening throughout the whole culture. And we're here to make these tools available. Whether people have money or not is irrelevant. Make these tools available. In fact, the people who don't have the money are the ones who most desperately need it because their trauma is what keeps them in poverty. And so our objective is to provide those tools ultimately to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. And we're glad that your listening ears are here to be part of extending that energy. Even if you're just hearing it and the vibration goes through your brain, you're anchoring it into the world. So that's part and parcel of how we're going to ultimately achieve critical mass. Now, the physicist Yeshua 2,000 years ago said, little leavening leavens the whole loaf. He wasn't talking about bread. He was talking about critical mass in physics. If you're doing a chemistry experiment in the lab and you have, you know, four ounces of a substance and you start dropping one drop at a time of another substance into that original substance, it remains as it is until critical mass is reached. And then when that one extra drop is dropped in, the whole substance is transformed. I personally am working for the day when we hit critical mass with humanity and have a morning where everybody in the world wakes up knowing who they are as love and that the presence, the energy of love is powerful enough that they can just blow off all the drama, the trauma, the generational pain, the generational hurt and rage. And I thank each of you for being an early adopter that started to do this work to bring the energy up on the planet and we hit critical mass, it's going to be a transformation like the world's never seen. And I think we're getting close. If I look at the exacerbation of insanity, the healing crisis, it's coming out in the wash, we've got to be getting close. <laughs> and so the number of incredibly wonderful, powerful things that are happening in the world, the number of places that a higher level of understanding is coming through than the old hostility and fear game, it's growing exponentially. So we're glad that you're a part of it. And if you're out there in listener land, we've got about 12 minutes left. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Dial that number. We're having a conversation. Let's talk. How can we support you? What's on your mind? Do we, by chance, Jeannie, have any questions in the... Uh, in the chat room or any questions from the app that people have been asking? Uh, no, but I did get an email from someone from the um, uh, book club from yesterday. And oh. you had mentioned, oh, cool. you know, the Podbean. And um, so I sent her the link to that. And that wasn't really a question, just wanting to... To be up, I think she's in another country, and so that was going to make it easier to call in. Right. As you say that, I realized that late last night, Yinka sent me the uh, the link. So I will. I'm I'm looking it up as we speak, and I'm copying it, and I'm going to email it to you, so that if you'd like, you could put it in the. Um, in the notes for today. And well, I have to um, 
I have to transfer it to get it to our YouTube. I've got to do a little manipulating there first, but oh, okay. So we've got eleven minutes. Take us in the direction. So I'm just sending you that, and. Okay. Oh, Susan said she put her hand up again. So I thought I saw it flicker, but I wasn't sure. Hey, Susan. You know, along the lines of the merciful prison arrangements and that wonderful man and the love chair, I recently read a story that's not very long. And I know, you know, if you want to do something else, but this is along those lines and an absolutely gorgeous story. And I wonder if you'd like to hear it. An old man meets a young man who asks, do you remember me? And the old man says, no. Then the young man tells him he was his student. And the teacher asks, what do you do now? What are you doing in your life? And the young man answers, well, I became a teacher. Ah, how good, like me, asks the old man. Well, yes, in fact, I became a teacher because you inspired me to be like you. The old man was curious and asked the young man at what time he decided to become a teacher, and the young man tells him the following story. One day a friend of mine, also a student, came in with a nice new watch, and I decided I wanted it. I stole it. I took it out of his pocket. Shortly after, my friend noticed his watch was missing and immediately complained to our teacher, you. Then you addressed the class, saying, This student's watch was stolen during classes today. Whoever stole it, please return it. Well, I didn't give it back because I didn't want to. You closed the door and told us all to stand up and form a circle. You were going to search our pockets one by one till the watch was found. However, you told us to close our eyes because you would only look for his watch if we all had our eyes closed. We did as instructed. You went from pocket to pocket, and when you went through my pocket, you found the watch and took it. You kept searching everyone's pockets, and when we were done, you said, open your eyes, we have the watch. You didn't tell me, you didn't tell on me, and never mentioned the episode. You never said who stole the watch either. That day, you saved my dignity forever. It was the most shameful day of my life. But this is also the day I decided not to become a thief, a bad person. You never said anything, nor did you even scold me or take me aside to give me a moral lesson. I received your message clearly. Thanks to you, I understood what a real educator needs to do. Do you remember this episode, Professor? The old man answered, yes, I remember the situation with the stolen watch, which I was looking for in everyone's pocket. I didn't remember you because I also closed my eyes while looking. Don't you think that's about the most gorgeous thing ever? (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Definitely wake up time. Definitely wake up time. Very cool. 
actually, I'm looking right now for a note. I've been prepping for uh, for the uh, beginning of working with the Enlightenment book next week. And mm. you just brought to mind a uh, a quote from Job, which literally, sadly, from the scriptures, the way the Greeks translate it, and it's just part of the whole Greek degradation of the ancient scriptures. Job 12.6, in most translations, the translations that come out of the Greek, uh, quote or say that Job 12.6 says this, the tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, and in whose hand God bring abundantly. Wow. So here's somebody who wants us to believe that the scriptures say that God's helping prosper the robbers, mm. and it's God that's bringing them abundance. That's the, the Greek set of brain cells through which, and, and with this, to me, we get to see why Yeshua put such an em- emphasis on Rachma, that we can only perceive correctly rather than perceive through our own brain cells when that is mm. said. In the Aramaic, mm-hmm. that pro- passage says, the tents of robbers shall perish, and the assurance of those who incite God, they will perish also because there is no God in their hearts. Wow. And there wow. are so many places in the scriptures where the Greeks, the Greek mm. translation just turns it all on its head. And, you know, like, think about somebody who thinks, well, this is the word of God and there's not, there's not one errant word in it. It's got to be right. So I would think that Job 12.6, if you go look at it in virtually every Bible that you'll find, Bible translation you'll find, and is it, well, we'll talk about that later, but uh, I was going to have another, plug another thought in there, but, but imagine somebody reading, oh, the tabernacles of robbers prosper because God mm-hmm. is there to bring them abundance. Well, I think I'll go out and be a robber. I mean, how crazy is that on its face? Yet people will pound the Bible and say every word is the inerrant word of God. And I'm going to, I'll start to show up with a few examples of of how obviously insane the Greek translation is, such as this one, and then what the Aramaic actually says. Now, you'll find Mm. people, I've actually got a a, a, a preacher, hey, sweetie, I've got a preacher that uh, I've been kind of communicating with for, oh, several months on on Facebook. And... uh, He's like, I mean, he's just adamant, rage-pilled that I would even dare to insinuate that the Aramaic was the language of Jesus, and that's what they, he, he, he's a preacher, and he knows better. He knows it was wow. Greek. Wow. You know, it was delivered in Greek. Yes. And uh, it's just like, there's so much that you can, you can easily, when you look at, and as I say, we'll share a few of those when we start on the uh, Enlightenment study, it's obvious this isn't what the scripture says. I mean, it's anybody with a half a brain's got to say, no, that's not what love does. <laughs> and um, and then we'll we'll work from there 
beginning on the 15th to uh, bring forward the Aramaic meanings and uh, just a, an overall picture of the Aramaic to support each person in moving in the direction of truth and how the world actually works. Wow. Hey, guess what, Michael? You reminded me of something. I just loaned your uh, Kaboris manuscript book to my priest, my minister at my church. He was very interested oh, cool. in it. Yeah. Didn't mean to short circuit what you were saying, but he's he wants to know these things. Well, maybe he'll start joining us on the radio show on the 15th. And uh, thanks for giving that to him and for you giving that to him. We'll get one out in the mail today or tomorrow. Uh, we'll get another copy to you, so you've got one to come along and uh, maybe invite him to join us for the show. It would be awesome to have his input. Well, you don't have to do that, Michael. I, mean, I know I don't have to do that, but that's what we're doing. It's already done. Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. That's that's awesome that you're that's our invitation, you know. If each one teaches one, if each one reaches one, this is gonna move globally very quickly. And so that's what we're here to support and inspire in the world. So thanks for being part of it. Welcome. And for My your pleasure. quizzical questioning mind that helps to open so many uh closed loops for everybody in the community and uh inspires deeper understanding so you are you are much appreciated thanks michael you're welcome well, I'm and deserving, around as dr tim I'm... would say <laughs> and deserving <laughs> right thanks. and deserving yes all right young lady you have a blessed one thanks. and we're down to the last minute or so if you want to join us for that study and you'd like to get a copy of the Enlightenment book, it's a book that normally sells for twenty five. If you go to our website and order it, it's twenty five dollars and the shipping or the shipping is automatically added and it's nine dollars. Uh if you would like to order one knowing that you're going to be using it in this study, what we're doing, if you go to our website, whyagain.org, at the bottom of the page is a donate button. If you donate one dollar more than the twenty five dollar cost of the book, twenty six. We'll pay the shipping, and we'll get it out to you ASAP. All we ask you to do, if you do go to the Donate button, is that you put your name in and your address and just say, this is for enlightenment. And we will send you a copy of the book. And on the 15th, we're going to get started with that. And I look forward to uh, to what's going to unfold in that process. Appreciate you all. Have a blessing. <laughs>